morning. Well, I think that was enough. I can probably leave now. I think that was, <laughs> that, that was good. Um, I could have expanded the title a little bit to uh, Birth of Messiah, Proclaiming Peace or Shalom to those both far and near, or as Emmanuel's song said, those far and nigh. Um, this is basically a verse from in Ephesians which where Paul is saying that Christ is now proclaiming peace to those who are near and to those who are far. So we're celebrating Advent right now. Um, and uh, obviously from the music and everything, we're dealing with the subject primarily of peace, shalom. Uh, so I think what I'd like to try and do a little bit is what exactly is peace or shalom in Hebrew? And who are those who are far, and who are those who are near or nigh, uh, as in the hymn? Let me just take a look at the time so I don't go over here to give a little idea. Okay. Um, as Julie would say, I'd like to pray also. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be accept acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. By the way, that comes from Psalm 19. Uh, we sang Emmanuel and the phrases mourning in lonely exile here until the Son of Man appears. Um, and this song was written obviously a while back because in Christian understanding it was really when Messiah comes back at the time of the resurrection that Israel will be restored. And yet here we have Israel in their land. Um, we've been there, it's beautiful. It's, uh, what they've done there is amazing. And not only that, not only back in their land after all these years, but their language is now a spoken language again, not just a scholarly biblical language or something like Latin that really isn't spoken anymore or Hebrew that isn't spoken anymore. Uh, that they're back in their land. So when we talk about the Advent coming up right now, Advent, as you, I think, well know, is not a biblically mandated celebration like Passover or Feast of Booths, Tabernacles, things like that. It's something that the church, and not even all the church, it's mainly, I believe, the Western church, and then in the Western church, it's us liturgical folks uh, that celebrate Advent. I came from a Reformed Presbyterian background. We didn't do that. I don't even think I knew what the word meant back then. Uh, so uh, what exactly is it that we are celebrating? Who is near and far that this gospel of peace is being brought to? Um, so I'd like to also kind of continue. Darlene, um, Dr. Darlene uh, Lyons spoke last week. She was trying to show the, the the Jewish context of hope. Um, and uh, if I can get my laptop thing to move here. Um, there we go. Uh, I want to continue in her line, so to speak, uh, that I'd like to try and uh, tie this in. So my background is a little bit interesting, just where I'm coming from a little bit. Um, I've been part of this church for probably about 30-ish years right now. 
Uh, I've been part of the Disciples Study Group, which is about a 30, you know, 31, uh, 32, 36 uh, week study group, which was really neat because usually when you take Bible studies, you spend most of your time in the New Testament. Here we spent half of our time in the Old Testament, half of the time in the New Testament, and you started to see that there was a weave and a fabric, a hand and glove, and that instead of thinking God of the Old Testament seems different to the God of the New Testament, you start to see the cogency and how it all, all fits together. So um, I want to kind of continue again in, in Darlene Lyons' line and talk a little bit again, what exactly um, is Shalom and again, who, are, who is near and who is far? And Julie Lee was very good because I think a few weeks, some days ago, she said, you know, shalom and the, the Jewish understanding of it, it means wholeness, maturity, completeness, wellness. It's, uh, it's not the absence of violence. Uh, that is not peace. It is, as Jesus said, and as it says in the, in the Old Covenant, seek peace and pursue it. We are supposed to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit. So Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is basically saying, peace, those who are friends of God, part of the kingdoms, are part of the kingdom of God, are those who genuinely seek peace, pursue peace, reconciliation. And one kind of neat thing I think is rather neat is that in Judaism and so forth, if you have something against, uh, or if you have an issue with, with somebody, a really serious issue with somebody that's in covenant like you, uh, like we are in covenant with each other as Christians, uh, they're in covenant with each other, that if there's something like on Yom Kippur, you look at your year and you say, have I offended anybody? Uh, is there reconciliation sort of required? And the answer is, or the way they deal with it is, you, be, based on Torah, if you see something that is really wrong and you're trying to deal with somebody in covenant, who's in covenant with you, you need to mention that to them. If they still do not respond in reconciliation, you try it a second time. If that doesn't work, you try a third time. And if that doesn't work, you're off the hook. Otherwise, if you don't bring up this offense and try it, you're sort of responsible for it yourself because you're not pursuing peace, which is God's uh, main goal for us. So um, what I'd like to say a little bit is that if we look at the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, it's sort of, it's chronologically unfurling sort of like a, a fern frond. God's plan of salvation to bring peace on earth, the lion laying down with the lamb, the age to come. It's sort of like God is, is starting from Adam and Eve and he's working through like a fern leaf opening, the plan of salvation. So different things are happening at different periods of time uh, until we get to the time when uh, Messiah comes back, we have the resurrection and you have the, the beginning of the age to come as it is called. So you then have a merger of heaven and earth. Uh, Bible often speaks about the new Jerusalem coming down and merging with the earthly Jerusalem. 
So you actually have a ladder, you have the merger of heaven and earth, and uh, the two, earth is sort of validated through that merger of the two, the kiss of heaven and earth. Um, homilies, oh yes, I just want, uh, let's see, how's my time going here? I want to mention this really quickly just to tie in with Darlene Lyon last, last week. Uh, she talked about the Magi or the wise men coming from Babylon uh, to Jerusalem, and I thought this was very interesting, and the star that appeared to them. Number one, real quick, uh, why were the, these Babylonian wise men coming for the birth of, uh, of Messiah? And uh, Darlene mentioned you know, their understanding because the Jews had been in Babylon. Uh, they under, had a, an understanding of this God. And I sort of joked in one of the scripture readings back that they, why they sort of remembered all this is because when Daniel was there, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to have that dream interpreted. And uh, he asked all his wise men, all his magi, to interpret this. And none of them could. And he says, I'm going, if nobody in a specified period of time can tell me what this, the answer to this is, all of you are going to die. I'm going to slay all of you. And then they hear of Daniel. And Daniel saves Babylonian but because he comes up with the interpretation and saves the Magi. So I'm sure there are wise men that this has come down to them up to this present time of this God and Daniel and so forth. The other th and the other thing I thought was very, very interesting was the star. So much ink has been spilled over, you know, was this a cosmological event and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but why wouldn't Herod have just said, okay, there's a star, we know stars, we'll follow the star to Bethlehem. Obviously, they couldn't see it. This was something that was only the, the wise men were privy to. And I think it's very interesting. Paul, when he's on the road to Damascus and he has that experience uh, of Jesus and Jesus in spirit says, why are you persecuting me? Notice that only Paul heard the words. Others heard noise, but only Paul heard the words. So again, I think it was one of those very special events where God is gifting or gracing specific people. It's not something that others see or hear. So that, that I, oh, I, I thought was sort of interesting, um, or at least a, another option. So anyway, um, we have a little bit of an understanding of what shalom is. It's, being a peacemaker, being a friend of God like Abraham. Uh, what is, so who are those that are far? Who are those that are near? Uh, when you read Paul in that one scripture reading, uh, it talks about the Gentiles, the nations have been far from God. Doesn't mean individuals within those nations haven't uh, responded to the spirit of God, but basically the nations themselves, none of them at that time were believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they, they're the ones that were far. Paul says they are without God in this world. They have no hope, and therefore they have no peace. But now with this advent, God is reaching out to the nations. Uh, he's always been there for individuals, uh, as Psalm 19, where we had let the Lord's uh, words of my mouth and meditations of my heart, uh, 
Psalm 19 is one that Paul also quotes that individuals have access to the Spirit of God through creation and their own conscience, uh, God's Spirit within us, that there is that communication. But then what advantage, you know, the Jew, or what advantage us is that we actually have the oracles of God, we can read them, we, we can be assured of that hope. We have that hope of and peace, uh, shalom within us. One other thing I'd like to mention in terms of this access to God that others have, it's very interesting that Paul, when he's talking in Corinthians, he's, he's saying that when Israel went through the wilderness, it was the spirit of Messiah that went with them. So Messiah, the spirit of Messiah, the, the spirit that will be incarnate in whom we call Jesus was there with them in the wilderness. So that expands also to the fact that if he's there with them before the incarnation, he can also be with uh, individuals as well. So I think that's very important when we, we think about, well, you know, where was Jesus? Where was Waldo? Uh, he was, you know, from the past. Uh, he was there, but that spirit of God, that spirit of Messiah, which existed before the creation of the world, um, which Paul says, and Judaism says, the spirit of Messiah, uh, was there prior and active in the world, but did become incarnate for those and teach for three years in a very small area of geography. So homilies are supposed to have three points, and I'm running, running down with time here. I'm going to make three, but really just two. Um, and it's sort of a key, I think, to um, defining what is really what we're celebrating in Advent. And that is three points, and I'll give you the first one, which is just sort of a blanket one. It's a promise to Eve, and it's foundational. I think it's kind of interesting. Well, I find a lot of things interesting. But I think it's uh, interesting because uh, <laughs> I say that a lot. Uh, this, we think of the Bible as being a patriarchal book, and it was. It seems like it was written totally by, um, by men, prophets, Moses, things of this sort. But it's very, very interesting that in that first promise after the fall, or I call it the big stumble, um, because from a stumble you can keep going from a fall you usually stay down there uh, he's saying Eve your seed will crush the head of the serpent meaning Satan he will bruise your heel but your seed not the man's seed your seed will crush the head of the serpent and we know that Eve has promised that this seed of hers will be the redeemer and is eventually looked upon as the Messiah. And you trace chronologically uh, from Eve up to Sarah and so forth. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's a book written by men, but it's really all about the fulfillment of the promise to Eve that it will be her seed. And then you see the miraculous working of, of God through Sarah giving birth at that very, very old age, her miracle child, Isaac, 
and then you see uh, Hannah, if you know the story of Hannah and so forth, and then Mary, uh, again, it is Mary who God comes to first. It's very often the women, when there's a, a, a couple or a marriage, it's uh, very often the women that are being spoken to first by an angel or by God. So, uh, so that's the foundational one, this promise of peace that will come through her seed and then the tracing of that chronologically, the unfurling of the, uh, the fern frond through space and time. Um, but the two promises that I think are foundational for our understanding of scripture, it's almost like a magnet. You know, you take those metal filings in school and you throw them on a sheet of paper and it just looks like a mess. And if you don't sort of have this little key, you read the Old Testament, the New Testament, sometimes they seem to be uh, agree with each other and sometimes they don't. But you put that magnet with the two poles underneath, the two promises of God, which we'll mention. And all of a sudden, the, the filings come together. One goes to one pole, one goes to the other pole, and you see a pattern, and it's real. It's not just Rorschach. Uh, so what is happening, I think, here is that the two promises to Abraham are, one, that you will become, your physical line will become a great nation through Isaac and Jacob and Judah, eventually through David. Uh, your physical line will be a blessing to the nation. So here's again the promise of blessing through the line of Eve all the way up through now these promises to, uh, to Abraham. The two promises again, one is that your physical line will be a blessing to the nations and we're gonna see Messiah come through that line and that it is that, it will be blessing to the nation. So uh, I'm going to develop you as my firstborn son Israel, as Moses says to Pharaoh, Israel, God says, Israel is my firstborn son. I'm going to mature him through time. He's going to become a blessing to the nations. It's Abraham's physical line. So God is with Abraham and his line all the way through uh, to Revelation. And, uh, and, but it's all for the blessing, the mediation to the nations. So what do we have just to kind of finish up here in just a few more minutes. Uh, what we have in Advent is twofold. One is that Israel, as we know, Jesus had problems with the leadership, the Jerusalem leadership. There were so many things that were contrary. They were interpreting scripture wrongly. And scripture for them was what we call the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. There was no New Testament yet. And it's very interesting that he comes down almost like a litmus test into the Jerusalem leadership. This is where God has set his name, Mount Zion. Uh, and in that Jerusalem leadership, he comes down and how do they respond to him? By and large, not well. So what do you have in 70 CE? You have the destruction of the temple and after that a new leadership is formed. And very interestingly, that new leadership even though Jews today don't accept Jesus and Paul for reasons we won't go into, all of Jesus's issues with them are basically resolved in their secondary holy books like the Talmud, etc. Uh, they may not always uphold it, just like we may not uphold our scriptures very well either, uh, but there they are and these are their holy books, these are the words. So, so much of what Jesus and Paul said, their issues, 
So you have a change in leadership, and the leadership today, by and large, would have no problems, or Jesus would have no problems with them. So the advent comes, and Messiah comes, and what happens? Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He is teaching a new leadership that will then goes out, and you have the Gentiles coming in in mass, and what do we do with them? They're coming to our God now. So this new leadership, in a sense, will carry the seed that will actually infiltrate Judaism in the future or the Judaism of today. Uh, the other thing that is going on, of course, is that now the Gentiles are being brought into a formal covenant with Israel. This is the Jerusalem Council. Most of us know the Council of Nicaea. We have the Nicaean Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and I think the Apostles be turning in, their, uh, turning in their graves from that creed, and that's something to be worth going into sometime. But the original council, the foundational council, is actually in the Bible, and most of us don't know about it. It's Acts 10. What do we do with these Gentiles? Well, these Gentiles, first of all, especially those that were in the synagogue and going to the synagogues, learning about this Jewish God for one reason or another, were also taking place in their pagan feasts, their community feasts, their the, the gods of their craft, their community, Caesar of their country, they had to give all that up. They had to become totally sanctified, set apart to God, and learning from the Jewish people in the synagogues. So two things is happening in Advent. Messiah has come. Israel is being restored through Jesus' teaching, Paul's teaching, uh, back to their scriptures, and the Gentiles are coming in, us are coming in and being included, sharing in a formal covenant like the traveler's umbrella insurance company. Oh, here's your umbrella, and here are the Jews under the shelter of God's wings, and now we're being brought in, we're being adopted, we're being grafted in. We are becoming partners and sharers, not mushed together into some sort of third entity, but together working for peace on earth. So I'd like to had a lot of other things I'd like to say as folks that know me would understand uh, but I would like to sort of end that with Advent being sort of this the Advent of Messiah what is Messiah's role in that Advent the birth and, uh, and his teaching that is to bring Israel back bring back uh, to their elected role as to be a blessing to the nations, a mediator to the nations, with them being their king. And then, of course, the nations actually being brought in in a formal covenant. Paul talks about the mystery. This was not revealed in the past, but now being brought into a formal covenant along with Israel. So I, I hope that gives some thought for you know, the content of Advent and what we are actually um, going forward with in terms of peace on earth and how to establish peace on earth. Um, okay, I think uh, I've run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank and, uh, you so much, Ed. We really Let me mention it. just one thing, and this is it. I think it, one of those kind of fun things to look at. When you know, Paul says to Timothy, his emissary, to the Gentiles, he says, you know, um, 
don't neglect the public reading of scripture. You know, all scripture is given by God for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. What scripture is he talking about? He's talking about the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. There were no gospels at that time. He was just writing to the various churches with their various things. So if they were to be friends of God, to be peacemakers, study the scriptures. And for them, wasn't the new covenant. I mean, it was the old, you know, it was the old covenant. So that's what they were studying. Okay, thank you. <laughs>